Well, welcome to a brand new series called Uncommon Sense. And in just a second, we're going to look at a story from Jesus' life where he was 12 years old, and it's going to involve his mom and his dad, Joseph. And so I figured, well, what better way then to get into this than if I told a story when I was 12 and it involved my mom and my dad. And so that's, I'm the preacher, I can do whatever I want, so that's what we're going to do. Um, is it wasn't actually it wasn't until last night I told this uh, story to the Saturday people, which is kind of what I call them. They're the Saturday people, and you're the Sunday people. It's two different groups. But anyway, I told this to the Saturday people, and then last night I'm like, wait a minute, this happened when I was 12, and the whole thing we're talking about is when Jesus was 12 too. So this has to be a God thing. So He wants me to tell you this story today, and that's just what I'm convinced of. Anyway, so when I was 12. Uh, that's when computers were becoming a thing. Like, that's when people started to actually have computers in home and a printer next to them, and you could actually type things up on your computer and print them out. You know, we had those old printers that went, you know, back and forth like that. And and so those were just coming out as far as um, new printers and, and computers and everything. But the thing is, back in the day, it wasn't as easy as clicking on file, print, that's all we have to do today, file and print, and that's all you have to do. Well, we had like four or five steps to go through to get these things to work. And so my dad, bless his heart, he's an awesome mechanic with cars and figuring things out, but he cannot figure out computers. Just can't, okay? It's not in his skill set. God gave him gifts when he was born. Computers wasn't one of them. So, so he has to print something out one day. He says, Matt, come on over here. I want you to help me figure this out. And so we had this little cheat sheet. I'm like, boop, 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 boop. And it starts printing. And he just stands back. He's like, wow, how'd you do that? And I didn't think my response through very well. He's like, oh, how'd you do that? And I said, Dad, it's, it's all logical. <laughs> and to this day, he'll remind me of that story when I told him, <laughs> apparently, he's lacking some logic. Or another way to think of that, Dad, it's, it's, all, it's all just common sense. Like this is just something people should know how to do. Um, this, this series isn't about common sense. It's about uncommon sense. But before we get to the uncommon part, I just want to show you what common sense is, even though it's kind of a common sense thing, how it works, but where it falls short. So I'm going to start with just a definition of common sense, and you can come up with your own if you want. This is my definition, so you can't reuse it. It's copyrighted. But this is how I phrased it. Common sense is the body of knowledge, so picture this cloud of knowledge with just knowledge in there, that most people can acquire without any help. Or another way to say it, it's it's the body of knowledge you can safely assume people should know. Common sense. A quick example, so in the last year we added a couple of hamsters to our family over at the Ewart household. And for the first one, my daughter got a book on hamsters, how to take care of hamsters. And the book is like 30 pages long. I'm like, you're kidding me. I don't know if I want to do this. Just give me a dog. They're easier. But we, we got this, this uh, book. It told us what to feed them, what not to feed them. You're not supposed to feed them iceberg lettuce because that has no nutrients, and it'll make them too, I don't know if it's regular or irregular. I, I can't remember. But anyway, all sorts of instructions in there. But it, there's some things they didn't tell you in this book. You see, they didn't tell you, don't put the hamster in the oven. Don't put the hamster in the refrigerator. Don't put the, they didn't have any of those instructions. Well, why not? Because it's 
common sense. Everyone knows not to do those things to a living creature. So it's an amazing thing. We got a hamster, and my kids did not put it in the oven or the refrigerator or anything like that because it's just common sense. We didn't have to tell them those things. Common sense is, is, is simply that, what we can assume most people know. Now, here's how common sense works, though. Common sense re, 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 uh, relies on reusable truths. You know that a certain thing is true because maybe you've been taught it or you figured it out, but the, the information is transferable to other areas of life, too. I know that my dog needs water. Maybe the cat needs water, too. Um, I know that it's not good to put this in the oven. Maybe I shouldn't put this in the oven either. And so we can take a truth that we know of one area and simply transfer it to another. And I believe God created us like this because it'd be a long day at school if we had to be taught every single little thing about what to do or what not to do. Uh, But instead, we can take common knowledge and apply it to a variety of places, and that's how we reach common sense. Now, What I learned with my dad is what we all learned at one time or another. Sometimes common sense is not all that common. Here's here's one idea real quick. It's when your idea of common sense is challenged that your worldview is changed. Like the moment I realized my dad doesn't know how to work computers, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe I, I should slow down a bit next time. Or maybe other people don't know the things that just come naturally for me or whatever. But whenever your common sense or your idea of it is challenged, it changes the way you view the world. And that's what this series is all about. You see, common sense doesn't work so well with God. We have to be shown that there's a different kind of God than can be explained with common sense. The big weakness of common sense is that it depends on transferable truths that are, that are equal across different places, but that's not how we learn about God. We can look at patterns and things in this world and make some deductions about God, but we can't fully know who he is just by using common sense. Or number one on your sheet, fully knowing God is not a matter of common sense. You can't put together pieces from this world or from your life or from your mind and make some sort of an idea of the full knowledge of God unless you step above it. It's not a matter of common sense. It's a matter of uncommon sense. So what we want to do in this series is we want to look at several conversations Jesus had throughout his life, certain interactions where people had this common sense idea of God, but he challenges them. He challenges their common sense and The result is a different view of themselves, a different view of others, or a different view of God himself. So we're going to look at several different uh, conversations Jesus had with people. Today, what we're going to look at, like I said, we're going to see an account of Jesus when he was 12 years old. I'll I'll break that in in just a second. First of all, what is the, the topic for today is, well, what is the common sense idea of God that Jesus needs to challenge in us? We have this idea of God from common sense, but how does he take it a step up? Well, the, the, the issue is summarized with this question here. Where was God in all of this? We ask that question when something bad happens, when something sad happens, when tragedy strikes. Well, where was God in all of this? Because what does common sense tell you about God? At least, all, or, you know, God says he's all-powerful, so he can do anything, 
God says that he's everywhere. Nothing goes by without his notice. God says he's all loving. And so you put all that common sense together and what do you get? God should have been there. God should have stopped whatever it was that happened. Someone should have been there. We can, you know, any situation you think of, where was God in all of this? And here's what we're going to learn today. That a lot of times we miss where God is because we forget who he is. We miss where he is because we forget who he is. And we're going to see that illustrated in a harsh way when Jesus was just 12 years old. So uncommon sense. Where is God depends on who he is. We're going to see that illustrated. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 today, and I want to set this up a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit more time than I usually do because I believe this section is one of the most interesting sections in Luke's account of Jesus' life. Not the most important section, but it's definitely one of the most interesting ones. And the reason is this. When Luke sat down to record this biography of Jesus' life, he himself acknowledged, Dear readers, I am writing this because I took a lot of eyewitness testimonies about Jesus' life, and now I'm putting them together in a book. And that was his disclaimer going into it. I'm just taking eyewitness testimonies. I interviewed people. I talked to people. I got what they heard, what they saw, and now I'm putting it all in a book. So Luke is acknowledging this isn't stuff I saw necessarily or things I experienced. I'm just recording them based on what I've heard from others. And I believe God guided his hand through it. I believe that it's, you know, it's, it's inspired, that it's, that it's true in every way. But Luke's premise was I'm taking other people's eyewitness accounts from this, which makes Chapters 1 and 2 of his book, very interesting. You know what chapter 1, Luke, is about? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, dot, 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 dot. Angels came to shepherds. Jesus was born, right? Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, you see the birth of Jesus, and you got to ask, well, who did Luke interview for that one? You've got a few options. you got... Jesus, well, he's a little young, you might, and, and this was after Jesus ascended, so that's out. You can't interview him. You got Joseph. Joseph was there when Jesus was born, right? Um, except after Jesus is 12, we don't know what happened to Joseph, but it seems like he probably passed away, and so he wasn't around by the time Luke wrote his book. Third option, who was around when Jesus was born? I hope Mary was there. I'm pretty sure she was. Um, if, if you were at the Christmas service this year, apparently Pastor Ben believes that she was complaining to Joseph that he couldn't even find a hotel room, right? And so there's some arguments going on there. But uh, Mary was there, and, and what I believe is that Luke sat down with Mary. This was long after Jesus had died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Luke sat down with Mary, and he said, Mary, what do we need to know about Jesus' childhood? What do we need to know between the time he took the public scene and the time he was born? What, what do you remember? And so she tells the account of his birth, and Luke records all that, and it's almost as if Mary says, hold on, there's this one more thing. You know, we could fast forward to when Jesus was 30 years old, and, and I could tell you some more details, but there's this one thing from his childhood that nobody else would know about. And, I, and, and Luke, I think this might be important for your book. I think you should add this in here. And she goes on to tell him this story of what happened when Jesus was 12 years old. And I have to tell you, this story does not make her look good. It does not make Joseph look good. But it shows us how Jesus challenged her. The boy Jesus challenged his adult, adult parents 
to move from a common sense idea of God to an uncommon one. And so she goes on and she starts to tell Luke what happened when Jesus was just 12 years old. That's my take on it. I believe that Mary told Luke these words and he's recording them. Uh, At the very least, Luke is recording an account of Jesus' life when he was 12. So every year, Jesus' parents, again, Mary's telling him, hey, kind of like the Griswolds get a Christmas tree every, every Christmas, our uh, Mary and Joseph family, we go to Jerusalem every, every, every year. So every year they would go to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, which would be about an eight-week thing. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, according to what their family always did. Um, so, so just some background here again. So they're, they're uh, going from Nazareth to Jerusalem. They lived in Nazareth. They're going to Jerusalem every year, and if you look at a map, it's about 80 miles, which we could do in like an hour, right? 80 miles an hour down the interstate, boom, done. If, if you're in Texas, you can drive that fast, not here. But for them back then, you know, 80-mile trip, you've got to be thinking four days minimum, probably five, six, seven. You know, if you do 10 to 15 miles walking in a day. Um, so this was no, no small trip. So, so Mary, Joseph... This was an annual thing for them. We always go to Jerusalem for the Passover, according to our family custom. So verse 43 starts to get a little interesting. Here's the point. So after the festival was over, this was when Jesus was 12 years old, while his parents were returning home to Nazareth, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Uh Uh-oh. She's setting it up. She's saying, we did not know he wasn't with us. And she gives us some more details, or at least Luke does as he fills us in. So thinking he was in their company, they just went on their merry business. They left Jerusalem. They traveled on for about a day. Have any of you ever been left behind for a day? Uh, Someone in the first service came up to me afterwards, and they were like, all I could think of the whole service was home alone, (laughs) right? Uh, left home not just for a day, but anyway, don't think about that now. Then, I'll go back one more. So then they began to look for him. Back one more slide quick. So then they began looking for him among all their relatives and friends. So this gives us a cue as to why they could lose him. And by the way, Mary and Joseph, it, this would not look good if they were to lose the Son of God, right? I mean, a normal kid, sure, you can lose him. <laughs> this is the Son of God we're talking about here. Gabriel is going to be upset, man. He's going to come down and say, what were you thinking? But uh, so they're looking from among their relatives. So here's what happened. They came from Nazareth to Jerusalem, back to Nazareth, and it seems they traveled with a pretty big caravan of people. Because as you travel through Samaria and those parts, it's dangerous. It's like going through the middle of Chicago. You don't want to go alone, right? You don't want to go alone. And so they went in company. And so they assumed he must have been among their relatives playing with Cousin Jimmy or whoever it was, oh, he must be here somewhere. He's Jesus. He never disobeys us, right? So they just assumed he was there. And then came that sinking realization they did not find him. Son of God went missing. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, I want to pause right there. Where's the first place you would look for the Son of God? first place. So the first place Mary and Joseph looked was understandably among their relatives, right? That's where he belonged. He was their son. He was, you know, family. So first place was there. And then they didn't find him. And so they, they, they go to Jerusalem. And how long did they look? Goodness. 
three days. Can you imagine that as a parent? Three minutes, I'm freaking out. Three days, they're searching for him, and not just any child, but the Son of God. And you got to believe, as you know, they, they were a day away from Jerusalem, and now they're coming back to Jerusalem. It, they're, they're talking on the way. They're like, okay, let's start making a list. Let's try to figure out where he could be. So bowling alley, arcade. Um, you know, and they start making this list of places they're going to check off as they go. And it seems that when they got to Jerusalem, they spread out. It was divide and conquer. They were checking places, checking places. For three days, they were going down their list. And what did they find? Nothing. No Jesus anywhere. I would love to know the first place they looked when they got to Jerusalem, and the second place, and the third place, and the fourth place. But they couldn't find him until finally he showed up. After three days, they found him in the temple courts. And you see this phrase, or this uh, prepositional, state, prepositional phrase, if you're a linguist, in the temple courts. He wasn't in or among his family. He was in Jerusalem. He was in or among the temple courts. And now he's in or among the teachers. So where is he? Where's the first place you should look? And this is where we're seeing the answer finally. They finally found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. Now, I find that interesting because one of two things is true. Either this is teacher in-service day at the temple, and it's just a bunch of teachers gathering around to do their teacher thing, whatever you guys do on teacher in-service day. Or the, the teachers were here in the temple, and the listeners were here, and Jesus sat among the teachers. Either way... This is a big statement to say that he was among the teachers. What was he doing? He was listening. He was learning. He was asking questions. But more than that, we know that he was contributing to what they were saying also. Verse 47, everyone who heard him in the temple, teachers, listeners, everyone, they were amazed. This is a 12-year-old kid. Even according to Jewish tradition, a rabbi would say you're not really an adult or becoming an adult until you're 13. But here's this 12-year-old kid listening and, and contributing to the discussion. His understanding and his answers made people amazed. You see, this wasn't the first time Jesus had cracked open the scriptures or the first time he had heard about it. This was a boy who knew his purpose and who had been growing already. Now, people were amazed. But what is it, what, so his parents walk in, they see him. His parents saw him, they were astonished. Um, the, the word there can basically means their bodies went numb. Have you ever felt that way where you see something happening and you're just like, oh, it just kind of numbs your body. It sends that, that, that sensation through your limbs. That's what Mary and Joseph felt as they found Jesus sitting there. They were completely astonished. Do we have one more slide, Dean? Okay. His mother said to him, I love this part. This isn't good for Mary, by the way. This isn't like us learning from her. <laughs> His mother said to him, son, so, so pay attention. She's identifying who he is. He's her son. He's Joseph's son. Son, she's putting him in his place. Son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you done this to us? Why have you done this to us? Your father, now since she's bringing dad into this, your father, it's not just me, gentle mom, it's father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We've been hurt by this. You're our son. How could you do this to your father and to me? 
I kind of know what Jesus was facing that day because when I was 12, I faced a similar situation. I'll try to tell this story quickly. So when I was 12, about 7th, 8th grade, I really got into these model rockets. You can build them, paint them, and all that fun stuff. And, and so there's this one rocket I built. I called it, I think I called it the Silver Bullet or something like that. It was silver in fancy name. But I built this rocket, and it wasn't just an ordinary rocket because most rockets back then, what would happen is, you know, you'd send it up into the sky. It, first of all, explosives are involved, and so I was all into that. But you send it up into the sky, and a normal rocket, what happens? The cone pops off, and you get this, you know, rinky-dinky parachute, and it kind of floats back down. No, the silver bullet didn't have a parachute. It had a propeller, a stinking propeller that would pop out of the cone, and it would float back to Earth like a helicopter. So this was, this was not your standard rocket. So, so here's where I launched it from. This is where I grew up. I know it looks kind of small. Um, that's where I grew up. That was our house. And this is, this is kind of our stretch of property right here. And so I'm thinking, you know what? I can just launch this thing in our backyard, plenty of space, no problem. And it was no problem. The rocket went way up. And poof, the propellers came out. And it slowly came down. And apparently above the tree line, there was a bit of a breeze. And so the silver bullet with its propellers landed somewhere in here. I'm not entirely sure, but I said, I'm not going to lose that thing. And so I hop across the barbed wire fence, start searching, tree by tree by tree, looking, 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 cross a creek on the other side. I have no idea where I am. And then it hits me. I've been gone for about two hours, and I can barely hear in the distance my mom saying my name. And it's so distant, I know that even if I tried to shout back to her, she wouldn't hear me. It's getting dark. And by the way, we had coyotes back there too. So coyotes everywhere. And, and probably tigers and lions, I don't know. But <laughs> coyotes for sure. And, and so guess what my mom is going through? It's getting dark. She can't hear me. She can't see me. Meanwhile, I was perfectly fine. I said, you know what? Even if I get lost, I know I can go up to this road and just follow it all the way back around. And so that's what I did. I'm like, Mom... She's going to be shouting. She's going to go crazy, but I got to take this other way home. That's how I know to get home. And I got to here. Where am I? Got down to here. Started going down the driveway. I start shouting out to her. She runs down the driveway. I'll never forget her face. She didn't have to say a thing. I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> her face in tears, in torment. It looked like she was in pain. And what she was saying without words was, how could you do this to me? And not in a selfish way, but more just an anguish kind of way. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Why didn't you just come home right away? And that's what Jesus was looking at when Mary and Joseph went into the temple. Jesus, what were you thinking? What were you doing? And Jesus says, you should have known that I would be here. Their common sense told them that this was their son, their responsibility. They had completely lost sight of what Gabriel had told them 12 years ago, that this would be called the son of the Most High, not just the son of Mary, not the son of Joseph, son of the Most High. And Jesus is like, you should have known. Things would be different. What this does for you and for me is this. You see, when we set our expectations for God on our common sense idea of him, we will be disappointed. We will absolutely be disappointed if our expectations of God are set or dictated by our common sense. Because our common sense says God is loving. Our common sense says God is all-powerful and he's everywhere. And so we come to this question, well, where was he when this happened? 
Where was he when that horrible tragedy occurred? Where was he? And as we're about to see from Jesus, where God is completely depends on who, who he is. So Jesus uh, takes Joseph and Mary, you know, he's, he's doing, dealing with the aftermath here, and this is how the situation wraps up. He asks Mary, his mom, the question, well, why were you searching for me? This is important. He doesn't say, why were you upset? He understood why she was upset. When you're separated from the Son of God, you're going to be upset. He asked, well, why were you searching? You should have known the first place to look for me. Why were you searching? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, doing my father's business, being with my father? You know, Joseph, yeah, I'm going to honor him as my father, but I have a greater father. You should have known this would be my first place. But instead, Mary and Joseph, they went through their idea, common sense, first place, second place, third place, for three days until they finally stumbled on him. But here's the conclusion. They did not understand what he was saying to them. You know why? Because a lot of times when you're dealing with a 12-year-old, you can figure things out. You're like, oh, he's just acting up because he needs attention. Or, oh, he's just slacking off. We need to encourage them to do their homework more. We can figure this out. You know, it's, it's all pretty simple if you just, you know, think about it. Mary and Joseph could not figure out Jesus. Well, why? Because Jesus wasn't a common sense thing. It was an uncommon truth that made him where they were not expecting. Here's the last part. So then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them. He was obedient. What this tells me is Jesus went about his daily business as if nothing had happened. He did what he always did. He went home. He was obedient to them. He lived as their son. Nothing jarred him. But on the other hand, his mother said, well, wait, 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 wait. I can't just go on like normal. Mary had to treasure up all these things in her heart. She said, something just defied my common sense, and I can't quite put my finger on it. I, I, I need to think about this for a while. And here's an important truth for you and for me. You see, when, when we go from a common sense understanding of God, how he should fit according to the way we imagine, every time Jesus bumps that out of place, it takes time. To go from common sense to uncommon sense requires time. It requires thinking and praying and, and, and meditating. This isn't an overnight thing where Jesus all of a sudden snaps his fingers and someone says, oh, you're the son of God. Of course you should have been in the temple. Mary had to ponder these things in her heart. And you know what? So do you and so do I. Because when we get to that question, well, where was he? <laughs> where was God anyway? Why wasn't he there where he should have been? Here's the answer we get to with Jesus. You see, where he is depends on who he is. And who is he? He's He's not your, your vending machine in heaven. He's not here to bring immediate justice and goodness to everything in this sinful world, but rather, who is he? Well, God, Jesus, he's, he's the Savior, which means he doesn't destroy evil. He, he redeems it. He enters it, and he saves from it that which he loves the most, which is you. So if you're expecting to see Jesus or find him on some judgment seat, casting judgment on all the evil and wickedness of this world, you're going to have to wait for that until the last day. In the meantime, he's not in a judgment seat. You'll find him at the cross. Even though his first place that he could be is up in heaven with his father, the first place he chose as your savior 
was a cross. The first place that drew him in was the tomb. His first place was death, so that your last place would not be. That's who he is. And where you're wondering, well, where is God in all of this? Where did he go? Jesus says this isn't a matter of common sense. It's an uncommon sense that God himself would enter the anguish and enter the suffering to redeem you from it. That's where you will find him. And in this way, Jesus challenged the worldview of his mom, of his dad, something that they would ponder for quite a while. And what we'll see in the next week and the next few weeks is that Jesus, through seemingly casual conversations at times, plants these ideas where it, it challenges people to see themselves and to see the world differently because we don't have a common sense kind of God. Knowing him fully does not, is not a matter of common sense. It's a matter of uncommon truth, and that is found only in Jesus. So I hope you can join us again next week. Uh, for now, let's wrap this up with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, <clears throat> sometimes in life we can ask questions and wonder how things work out and where you are in all of it and how it can all fit together. And, and those are questions that we ask from our perspective, almost like a, a mom who watches her son run off and, and she doesn't know a lot of where he is. Uh, my prayer is that when we think of our relationship with you, we would always know where you are. That even though evil and, and sickness and death persists in this world, that you were the God who entered it, not just the God who destroyed it. You entered the death and the pain and the suffering so that you could redeem us from it. So help us always see you at the cross, our loving Savior, um, so that we can find comfort and joy in knowing that we belong with you. And one day, you will bring us all home to you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.